All right, this is Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco, 89.5 FM. This is Arab Talk with Justin Jamal. I'm Jessan Nam. And this is Jamal Dijani. Jamal, we have a fantastic show today, and um, we're going to be covering a lot of things from Gaza to domestic issues and beyond. And in studio with us today, we're very honored and fortunate to have one of our favorite guests, of course, Professor Rabab Abdelhadi, professor and director of the Ahmed program at uh, San Francisco State. We're also very fortunate to have in studio with us today Professor Simona Sharoni. Uh, professor Sharoni is from uh, Merrimack College. She's the director of the Interdisciplinary Institute and a scholar in many areas. So we're going to find out about that today, Jamal. But I think in terms of our first and foremost issue, we do want to uh, make sure that we cover a little bit about what's going on in Gaza. Since we were on uh, last week, Gaza has gone through a rather extensive military attack from the Israeli military. Uh, numbers of Palestinians in Gaza have been killed, children, women, and there is a temporary truce I know going on right now, but within the last 24 hours there was another bomb attack in Gaza. Five children were killed as well as uh, two other women. So It's actually three now. Three, it's actually eight people. Eight so people now. So yeah. maybe we can get a little update on the situation in Gaza and then we'll kind of go from there. Well, as you know, now they have a truce. Uh, I don't know if it's holding. And Israel has been claiming victory in its latest battle and attacks uh, against the uh, Gaza. And um, this is something that started by an assassination of uh, couple of the leadership of uh, uh, Islamic Jihad and has escalated because, uh, you know, of course, uh, there was a retaliation because of these attacks. And if we look at it, just the timing, the purpose, and this is what we're going to be discussing because this is not the first time that Gaza has become the target point for Israel's cruelty towards Palestinians. But the timing with the Israeli elections and w with the stalemate, really, uh, for uh, Benjamin Netanyahu now, since he couldn't form a government and uh, Gantz is in the driver's seat, or at least temporarily in the driver's seat, looking to form a government, all of a sudden, Israel conducts this uh, brutal attack targeting Palestinians. And we know, uh, historically, this is a, uh, a driving force to kind of rally the supporters, especially the settlers and the uh, militants within the Israeli government and, uh, and, and public. And I think it's a desperate, a desperate yeah. attempt by Benjamin Netanyahu yeah, but it, to it, hold on to power, really, at the expense of Palestinian blood. Well, I think, I think that's right, Jamal, but we have to put into context also the fact that uh, this has been a period of... Uh, relative quiescence. I mean, yes, Gaza is under siege. Gaza is under attack chronically. Uh, every Friday, Palestinians in Gaza are getting shot at the protests. But in the larger context, this has been, I mean, you could call it in kind of a, a way, a period of quiescence, of quietness. And so the timing of this, I think uh, you're exactly right. This is the timing to cater to electoral politics uh, among, among Israelis. Um, maybe this is a good time, Jamal. We can pull in our, our two fantastic uh, guests, uh, Professor Abdelhadi and, and Professor Sharoni. Maybe we can start with you, Rabab. I mean, um, you know, people forget about Gaza. It's really tragic and unfortunate, but uh, the situation has never gotten better. And then on top of this, you have this attack. Yeah. What's what's your analysis? I, I, I think I think yes that, uh, I, but I think it's which people, because we're also in this show we always critique mainstream discourses and the way the media is uh, is representing the story. And I actually this morning the New York Times had an article that I think it should have been uh, listed as an article for the Israeli government propaganda for Israeli government and Zionism, because the article uh, basically by bureau chief of the New York Times basically argues that tries to divide and conquer between various Palestinian resistance groups. It tries to claim, blame the victim, blame the Palestinians again, say that the Palestinians are not, they have not been respecting 
calm and so on. And I think it's really important for us to remember that Israel has placed the Gaza under siege. Gaza has been blockaded officially for over, this since 2007 now, okay, so for over 12 years uh, officially, but it was also blockaded from before. Israeli politicians have said, let Gaza sink into the sea. Uh, Gaza has the majority of its population, Palestinian refugees, and that is why the protests at the, at the border since March 30th, uh, 2018, last year, since the, the day of the land, the commemoration of the day of the land, uh, to, uh, to up till now, till uh, Friday, the Great March of Return, to actually talk about Palestinian refugees who would like, who want to go back to the home, to their homes or the homes of their ancestors. And Israel continues to shoot. It was only last month that the Israeli military only gave one month sentence to a soldier who killed a Palestinian boy, 14 right, years old, right. and only demoted him to private. So we do know what kind, A, a, a we know what kind of injustice Israel is engaging in. We know in uh, how Palestinians are being used in order for them to, uh, in order for them to uh, um, escalate the politics between Netanyahu. Netanyahu has a problem. He has a crisis. On one hand, he is, he's, uh, he has all these uh, um, corruption. Um, charges actually he's been indicted right and he's trying to hold on to be the prime minister to form the, the next Israeli prime minister even though Gantz has been assigned by the Israeli uh, president to do so and both him and Gantz are actually competing in how many Palestinians they're killing so we're really talking about a very racist uh, game and I'm going to actually stop because um, Simona and I and I you you've you've just uh, your audience has just been introduced to Simona but Simona and I not only have been sister comrades working for over 25, 30, 1992, right? Together. Wow. And, 1989. Yeah, 1989, okay. So I think he has 1989. And uh, we've been, we've, thank you, we've been struggling with each other. We're not struggling together. Long, 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 the support for justice in Fort Palestine by the NWSA and the support for the BDS. And tomorrow we start uh, the conference at National Women's That's why Simona is in town. And uh, we have actually multiple panels and maybe um, including maybe we'll one. Get to so, that. Yeah. But I have like so, a but, specific question. Simona can speak about also yeah. Gaza, Gaza and Israel. And but I want to, because uh, you have a unique perspective. You have an Israeli passport. You is it correct to say you self-identify as an anti-Zionist Israeli citizen? That's, I think, you know, we understand that in, in the studio and some of our listeners, but maybe you could break that down for our audience, both viewing and, and listening. What does that actually mean? You know, the Bob knows it. Um, initially, when I um, became involved in um solidarity work with uh, violence inflicted on Palestinians and, and realized that uh, the Palestinian narrative was omitted from my history books when I was um, living there. Uh, I, I did talk about my personal story. I'm also a daughter of a Holocaust survivor. I grew up with this notion that my people were victimized and therefore they're entitled to um, a piece of land and defended by all means. And in recent years, I've moved away from talking about my, my passport and my own story because I think Palestine and the injustice, um, the systemic violence inflicted on Palestinians should be everyone's issue. Mm -hmm. uh, it should be the issue for every American citizen because our tax dollars um, fund the violence that um, Palestinians in Gaza um, are experiencing today and that Palestinians everywhere have experienced it for, for the past um, century. Uh, but, but yes, I mean, I do, I do think that my background um, puts me in a position to um, advocate um, and refuse to be silent because all too often people that don't have that privilege have been silenced every time they criticized Israel and Israeli aggression uh, and accused of anti-Semitism. Um, it's p particularly difficult to um, 
for American citizens to criticize Israeli aggression when two presidential candidates, um, Joe Biden and Pete Buttigieg, make this um, statement um, right. yesterday that right. Israel has the right to defend to defend itself. itself. Yeah. And and again, it's that uh, narrative that Rabab is criticizing as if Israel has been a victim. And for people who don't put it in historical context, they think, oh, you know, Palestinians are the violent and it's the, uh, right. you know, Israel is under attack. If you don't put it in the context of the targeted assassinations that have been a pattern of um, a provocation designed to um, basically um, trigger resistance. So to me, when I talk to my students or when I talk publicly, uh, distinguishing um, the, the violence of the, the racist settler colony that Israel has become and, and the way it's acted from the violence of, from, from resistance by all means necessary, and sometimes it involves an armed struggle. To people who don't have context, in my classroom I say, it's like you have a bully and you have people who are finally standing up to the bully, either through the, the weekly march of return or through mobilizing international support like BDS, and when we talk about bullying in school, no one is going to say no. Everybody talks about anti-bullying. So why is it not okay to, to uh, call Israel for what it does, for the practices of violence, and say bullying is not acceptable, not on the, in the schoolyard, um, and not on the world stage? And, and we will and hold those perpetrators accountable. And they're bullies with nuclear weapons. And this is what's scary, and then you have, and then they get legitimized. So in other words, the last point that I will say for people who are really concerned about environmental justice and other issues, even if you don't want to take a position on the injustice in Palestine, there's a UN report that proclaims Gaza to be inhabitable by 2020. This is we're just right. a month and a half away from that deadline. And instead of mobilizing to say what we can do as an international community to address the basic human needs um, of uh, civilians there, we're basically sitting there as bystanders and allowing Israel once again to to further undermine the, the lives of Palestinians there. That's right. Uh, just for the record, actually, almost every single presidential uh, democratic candidate said, uh, uh, issued a statement in support of Israel except of uh, Warren who said nothing and Sanders. They're the only ones, but every everyone else wasn't just like Biden and Buttigieg. Others also made some, uh, a sort of a statement or another saying, you know, Israel has the right to defend itself. And my question is, actually it's very true, how come no one ever says, you never hear a single U.S. politician saying that Palestine has the right to defend itself. I think uh, I think when the government in the United States changes and we stop having a settler colonial regime in Washington, things will change. I think that's when when things will change. As long as it is like this, it's going to be very similar to what's happening in the Israeli government. I mean, in, why uh, we 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 see what's going on is that uh, Netanyahu is competing with Gans. They're both competing with each other. Who kills more Palestinians, and who is actually has much more record of violence against Palestinians? Both of them. And I just want to emphasize what Simona is saying is that. There has been Israeli attacks all along, even when they say, quote, unquote, period of calm. There has been Israeli attacks, both military violent attacks and also by depriving Palestinians from the right to, uh, to, to exit mobility, from food, from medicine, from uh, 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 petrol, from all sorts of things. So it's actually, this has been a continuous attack. But there is something about the U.S. politics that has to do with similarities. I mean, this is, um, I, I will just argue it very clearly, and I think sometimes people don't want to hear it, but there is a lot of similarities between the U.S. and Israel yes. in their foundation. Yes. They're both settler colonial regimes. 
regimes. Absolutely. The United States was founded on the genocide of indigenous people, on the kidnapping and enslavement of African people, on exclusion, on uh, incarceration camps of the Japanese people, on repression of all oppositional forces, however they are. We do not forget McCarthyism. On the now today is the question of uh, the, the, the very, very big question about the undocumented and the refugees and about the poverty that's going on in this country. So I think there are a lot of parallels. And it actually makes sense for somebody like Trump to be competing with Netanyahu about who is more racist than each other. Well, who is, he I said, mean, white actually, actually he said if he ran in Israel, he'll be elected as prime minister. This is what Trump actually said okay. recently. He said, yeah, you somehow they're not able to elect a prime minister yeah. or succeeding in this. Now, I want to ask actually Simona, because this is, you know, just continuing uh, on what you have said. I think it, what you said is absolutely true, but let's say there is a questioning of this whole settler colonialism. I mean, people here in the United States there are is. not are not also uh, ignorant about the fact. Mm -hmm. And and yes, there there is a group of people who prefer burying their heads in the sand and pretend nothing happened here and so forth. But there are large number of people who recognize the atrocities, right? In Israel, do you see a shift? in the people's attitude and i know that there is still still remains a small very small refuseniks even within the israeli military a small peace now movement elements uh, we know that uh, the left is totally dead i don't know if it's totally dead or close to dead but is there a change in the recognition that you know, Israel came to exist on top of the ruins of Palestinian towns and villages and the expulsion of an entire population. Um, generally speaking, no. Um, there, there has been a change on the left of the left, on the margins, in how people do politics and a shift away from that... Um, slogan of two states, um, the kind of dialogue framework and the tendency of um, Israeli Jewish leftists to patronize, to tell Palestinians how to wage their struggle. So there's been a shift towards solidarity. So there were um, some of my um, former sisters um, uh, were on a hunger strike two weeks ago when the Jordanian woman was on a hunger strike in solidarity with her. And when, when, um, when Labadee was, um, uh, and to me, I was pleasantly surprised because the most that these women did in the past, um, well, and, and it was something because there was always, um, retaliation, but it was to organize a protest and then to say, um, this is not okay, and we will join this hunger strike was significant. Younger, uh, the more and more young people who refuse to go into the military and and basically say that they would rather go to prison, make very similar arguments to what we're making. Uh, but at the same time, you have um, an eruption of. Uh, legitimized racism mm -hmm. across the board mm -hmm. um, in political discourse and then a lot of apathy. So the fact that there is no large movement, the fact that uh, people still um, talk about some type of a brokered um, agreement as if uh, Oslo was not the fast that it was, and in many ways led us to where we are. Um, there is this romanticization of Oslo as a framework, and this ignorant wishful thinking that we could get to that, we could get back to that, rather than saying this did not work. The only way to change now is to look at the issues and um, and find a just and lasting solution, and that begins with addressing the needs of Palestinians that haven't been addressed and measures 
to right some of the wrongs, to look at what has happened to refugees, to look at the conditions that make Gaza unlivable, it doesn't um, begin with the propaganda statement of um, Netanyahu, no guns. And for that to happen, there needs to be international pr pressure. This is the connection now to the uh, global um, BDS movement and, and other efforts to connect struggles to let uh, people know in the U.S., in Europe, and in other parts of the world that uh, the injustice in Palestine has similarities to injustice everywhere, mm. and that given that governments have not done their part to address this, it's incumbent about uh, on us as people to to take a stand. Just to be just to be clear, uh, when you uh, talk about international pressure, you don't have high hopes of governmental mm -hmm. international pressure, like a change in attitude within uh, the big powers like the United States yeah. and and the EU and wherever you're talking about BDS. Just to be clear, I just want yes, to clarify yes. that it's more a grassroots. Really, movement. I, I actually, I, I agree with Simone. I want to add a couple of things. One is that Israel, the way Israel does it, and I want to bring up the situation of South Africa, because here it becomes very comparable. A, actually, at the height of the anti-apartheid movement, a lot of governments were not really supportive of sanctions. The United States, Chester Pro Broker, who was the Undersecretary of State for Southern Africa, was engaged in something called constructive engagement. Right. That was the policy of Ronald Reagan, That's right. to actually sit down and talk with South Africa, actually to becoming nice people, conducting That's apartheid and so on. Yeah. And so, and then when governments started actually passing the anti-apartheid uh, anti sanctions and so on, it was only because the people on the grassroots came up. And this is very similar also to the situation in Israel. I think it's also really important that even at the height of the anti-apartheid movement, the number of whites in South Africa who participated in the movement was also very small. Right. And it was, but it was people who de decided that they are not going to be privy to the crimes that their government was committing. And they're not going to be benefiting from the comforts that their privilege, their white privilege in Israel is the Jewish privilege, to actually being able to um, exist at the, at, uh, on the shoulders of other people. That's the second thing. The third issue is the question of security, that Israel, the Israel continues to mobilize its people around the question of security, and a lot of people do not pay attention that there are tons of strikes going on in Israel, there is a homeless uh, how, housing right. shortage, there is a lot of neoliberalism, the people who are rich, and actually a lot of them are connected with the military. Surprise, surprise, right? The security industries are actually getting richer at the expense of the people. On the, and, and there, I think it's really important to think about all of these things, but I want to point out to something that happened in the summer. That was very interesting. When there was a, 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 a rise in the uprising among Ethiopian Jews in particular, mm -hmm. some of the young kids were shouting intifada. And this is something that it wasn't a long, it was, it did not last for too long. There is all of this stuff. There is all our friends, Israeli friends who are refusing to serve in the middle. Their kids are refusing, but they're not necessarily called con uh, refuseniks or conscientious objectors or something. Sometimes they're trying to get out of it in one way or another. And Israel doesn't conduct statistics to how many Israelis leave because they don't want to, I mean, like, not like Simon or a lot of people, all like Simon and other people that are actually refusing to, to, to have Israel speak in their name. I mean, the Shimon organized a conference 2000. When was that? Not in our name. The Peace and Justice Studies Association. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This is something that is going on. And I, I think it's really important. I mean, I, I, I agree with Simona about the small size of the movement. But I think it's really important that there are Israelis, who re, Israeli Jews, who are saying, this is not something that we agree with. We are disagreeing with it. And I think it depends on the Palestinian movement also. Yes to become a movement for the liberation of all the people who live in Palestine. So more people, I mean, become for the liberation. I'm not talking because the Palestinian movement actually historically has had a program in which it was against Zionism all along. It was never, ever against Jewishness. And it made very clear about studying the history of the Holocaust and the history of other uh, forms of anti-Semitism against Jews. But I'm talking about a movement that's actually for liberation. Yes. Yeah. Well, we're speaking uh, with uh, Professor Rabab Abdelhadi of uh, San Francisco State University and Simona, Professor Simona Sharoni from Merritt College, where she's the director of Interdisciplinary Institute there. 
We're very fortunate, as usual, to have both of you, you. joining us here on Arab Talk on KPOO. 89.5 FM here in San Francisco. I'd also like to welcome our uh, viewers on Facebook Live uh, who are watching us not only in the United States and but also across the, the world. Yeah, we appreciate the comments. I, I want to say just a little bit about the BDS movement. Yes. Because there was a dramatic uptick in something that happened two weeks ago with uh, Omar Shakar, mm -hmm. who is the uh, Human Rights Watch, Human, Human Rights Watch uh, representative in the office in, in, on the Israeli side in occupied Palestine. And it went up to the Israeli Supreme Court, mm -hmm. and they ruled to expel him. To expel him despite being an American citizen, having a valid work visa, and everything. I wonder, Sharon, if you could, Simona, if you could. Speak a little bit. I mean, we, we know about the Israeli Supreme Court. That's in some ways not a big surprise, but in some ways it may represent a shift. Yes. What do you think? I think that we have seen in this country um, and in Israel uh, efforts to criminalize BDS. Um, so contrary to the analogy that we make that Rabab just explained between the struggle against apartheid South Africa and, uh, and the struggle to um, undo uh, the damage and undermine apartheid in Israel, um, there has been an attempt to paint BDS as a threat to Israel's existence, as an anti-Semitic movement, um, as a violent movement. And of course, those of us who know the, and read that 2005 call to boycott um, know that it was uh, a call to international solidarity. Right. Um, it was a broad coalition of grassroots groups. And the reason that that call resonated with so many groups of students and faculty and labor unions around the world is because um, it was about justice. It was about um, an outline for uh, a future for Palestine and Israel. Um, within a different framework that is based on justice and equality for all. So it wasn't just uh, resistance, uh, but it also had an alternative vision, a vision that had much more substance than the, the empty slogan of two people for two states. Uh, Israel um, has tried since the campaign was um, uh, generating um, support to undermine it. And they have created the whole um, office. They have um, mobilized, uh, in the ministry, they mobilized um, an army of um, students to spy on faculty. They've worked with organizations to find attacks on, you know, my colleague, on myself, and anyone who speaks up and holds Israel accountable. And they managed to deceive people so that support for human rights now is also equated with uh, criticism of Israel. I think that's actually interesting that it that is. ruling we could use it because, you know, what Israel does by expelling. Um, an international human rights worker is by saying we don't support human rights. In right. other words, we've been saying it for a long time. Now they're basically saying we don't, we have no respect for international human rights and anyone that, who criticizes us, um, criticizes us is not welcome here. I think what they're trying to do, um, is they're also trying to take away the citizenship of uh, Palestinians and the residents, right? So, so the, the threats against Omar Barghouti, um, are really alarming. Um, I think they, there are plans to try and prevent people with Israeli citizenship. They're going to be, um, targeting first Palestinians with Israeli citizenship and Palestinians with residence in East Jerusalem, but they will extend to the minority of Israeli Jewish citizens who dare criticize Israel. I mean, I think this is... Well, they've is been doing it. They've been preventing people from coming. Yes, uh, Americans, Americans. Americans were going. But I think they're moving now towards people, even people who live in Israel, because, you know, there's some faculty, there's a small... Um, pro-BDS contingent in Israeli academia that mm -hmm. has Israeli Jewish um, faculty, some journalists, 
Um, silencing them is going to be detrimental to the ability to educate those in Israel who are willing to listen. So the, one of the things that Rabab said that I, I've always said, don't ask how many people think like you, Simona, which people tend to think, because I said, look, I had a very typical upbringing. What was different in my case is that I started asking questions, mm -hmm. and I, I sought to educate myself, and I was able, I was uh, fortunate and privileged enough to work alongside Palestinians and realize that my liberation is connected to theirs, uh, that the future of my daughter is linked to the future of Palestinians in Gaza, in the West Bank, in the diaspora. And ultimately, the involvement in this struggle made me um, become the person that I can become. So it, it's, it's also personally something that... Um, very few people in Israel have an opportunity to do. And by sending a message that we will expel anyone who's anybody, anybody um, it is uh, it will have a chilling effect on the few people who um, who support the struggle for justice. Well, I mean, uh, I think in that case, because I see two things. I see, for example, you know, the cabal that kind of control the politics in Israel they're at the point that they don't care. I mean, I mean, before they used to put that pretense that we, you know, look at us, I mean, oh, which you all know, all their Hasbara, like recently, mm -hmm. the Israeli uh, military, Israeli occupation forces, that's what I refer to them, they were advertising that, oh, you can be a vegan and serve in the, you know, that was their big thing. They had a whole video, I mean, going after now vegans. Um, I mean, they just the way, you know, before, of course, they used the LGBTQ community mm -hmm. to say that yeah. Israel, you know, work, the pink no. washing didn't work. Now they're, they had a whole video, produced video, to showing these two uh, good-looking young uh, women saying, you know, uh, you know, we can serve our country and we can get the best vegan food in the, mm -hmm. in the military. I mean, this is how desperate that they're... They're going say, at it, but I then let me just finish. And then the other point is, at the same time, I think there is a panic. Maybe it's not shown, but the fact that we are witnessing there is a change within the Jewish community at large, not just Israelis. I mean, there is maybe the small uh, pro-peace uh, uh, Israeli, Israelis in, 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 in there, and then also you have forces like Jewish uh, JVP, Jewish Voice for Peace, including even some, the attitude, the change in the attitude within the democratic agenda, I wouldn't say party, that they are trying at the same time to send threats. If you're going to continue this, we're going to take actions against you. That's how I, the way I see it. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's kind of like because they are panicked, but at the same time, they are not willing to change their attitude. I don't think there is a contradiction, Jamal. I think that uh, bullies become bullier whenever they they're do the not corner. get their way. Yeah. Whenever they don't get their way. They're not actually in a corner. They're actually attacking all of us, trying to put us in a corner. But they try. They are really... They're, they're losing. I think this... With the, is what Israel is doing, it's losing. It is... Israel has, has not been able, the Zionist project, Zionist movement has not been able to recruit all the Jews of the world to go and live in Palestine. They haven't been able to recruit people in, fact, it's in the going project the other of, way around. Yeah, in the project of colonizing Palestine, number one. Secondly, Israel has from its inception actually assigned very important uh, tasks to the military and to the Shabak and to the uh, to the um, uh, the the yeah the Shem the Mossad all of them in order to do this PR the Hasbara okay the PR game and so on at the same time they have been unable to do it all of this all of the attacks look we have over hundred years since 1917, the Balfour Declaration and before over hundred years of colonization Zionist colonization of Palestine 
they have not been able to erase the Palestinian people. They haven't. And it has been a very systematic, very intentional project to, de to destroy 532 villages. When Jamal, you talk about the vegan and the, the, the talk about the olive trees that are being burned and pulled <laughs> out. Exactly. And today, talk about the destruction of the environment. Talk about everywhere, the, 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 the nuclear waste, the, the waste, the toxic waste that they, that settlements drop on Palestinians, not literally on Palestinian water nearby, but also even in, in Hebron. Right. On the on the heads of Palestinians walking in the old city of Jerusalem, so we're talking about they are trying so desperately. Israel Zionist project is to get rid of the Palestinians, push Palestinians to be further displaced, displace more Palestinians. Historically, this has been exposed. It's not working. Their their propaganda machine has not worked, and their apologists in the United States and other places have tried with all their massive resources, power, connections, and connections to the person in the White House, who's, you know, their racism, they're competing with each other. They haven't been able to do it. So they do two things. On one hand, they do want to deliver to the Palestinians the narrative of defeat. You're defeated. You're defeated. You will never, ever succeed. All that you're doing, it's all of this bravado and so on. Give it up because you're not going to succeed. And to the supporters, give it up. Don't even support this Palestinian. This is a losing project. And this is a people who are anti-Semitic. All the smearing that's going on. So this is on one hand. On the other hand, they're trying to crush the Palestinians by showing, by using the maximum force possible. Yes. So there is this kind of like, like Rafael Patai said in the book, The Arab Mind, that Arabs only respond if they are beaten and, and destroyed and so on, which is a very colonialist trope. I mean, this is something that has been repeated again and again. It was repeated in Netanyahu and Gans during the electoral campaign. This is so, it's not, there is no contradiction, but they are failing. This is the problem is that they the, their problem is that they're failing. No matter what they do, they are unable to rescue. They are unable to rescue a project that's racist, that's colonialist, that's genocidal. They have a serious problem. And this is also why when you say anti-Zionism, Zionists really freak out. And then they claim they're the only ones who own Jewishness, when actually there are so many ways in which people are challenging, including we're seeing cracks in the Congress. It will take a time, but this is, there is a, the tide has turned. As but uh, maybe we can use that as a segue. Before we get to the segue to domestic politics, I just want to say there's a couple of areas we just need to you know articulate. So Israeli citizens are leaving Israel. Mm -hmm. They are opening bank accounts in European countries. They are leaving. The exodus is bigger than the immigration too. Mm -hmm. So they are definitely, there's something, whether it's conscious or unconscious, that that is going. Here in the United States, around the identity of young Jewish children towards the state of Israel is also changing right. mm -hmm. dramatically. If you look at the polling from the Pew Institute, yes. right. whether or yes. not these kids feel any kind of strong affinity or fidelity or connection to Israel, those numbers are changing dramatically. So we see the evidence of this changing right. configuration, which, you know, basically supporting what mm -hmm. the two of you said, but it's nice to look at some of the data right. and, uh, you know, that confirms that. Yeah, I think that uh, we see it in our classrooms, and I think this is why we've seen attacks on faculty yes. uh, who um, research and teach about Palestine. So on the one hand, we have efforts to intimidate um, faculty from um, speaking up, um, teaching about it precisely because students are hungry for it, and especially yeah. Jewish students who in many ways I identify with. I'm in, in working on a manuscript, and I start with a personal story of how I was fortunate when I uh, involved at Haifa University as an undergraduate to have a Palestinian professor uh, and then be um, confronted with information that I did not know. Um, and, and I think Jewish students in the U.S. are hungry for that. They're smart. Yes. They are, you know, going through this awakening and beginning to question that kind of um, blind support that they were socialized to, to um, have for Israel. Uh, and I think their parents are kind of 
following in their footsteps. Yes. So we're seeing this in some uh, reform congregations. Mm-hmm. We're seeing it with the work of Jewish Boys for Peace. I mean, the fact that Jewish Boys for Peace supports BDS it was a major shift that happened uh, around that time. And there are more and more people who have become members of Jewish Voice for Peace uh, than any other, um, you know, similar mobilization by Jews in recent years. Right. The, the, the last thing that I would say is that, sadly, this happens in response to violence. So, you know, in the aftermath of um, ongoing violent attacks on Gaza, but when they escalate, like in the summer of 2014, when JVP took a stand, we saw Jews who felt that by standing with JVP, they're sending a message to the Israeli government. Uh, I think that what is important and where we would see a true shift is when we move away from the symmetry, when we recognize, even with you know, representatives like uh, Bernie Sanders, who mm-hmm. I believe is the most progressive on Palestine out of everyone there, mm-hmm. and he still has a ways to go. Uh, one does not have to always um, qualify their support for Israel when they take a stance against Israeli aggression in Palestine. We need to be able to say that without having to justify Israel's right to exist. And when people ask me, you know, do you support Israel's right to exist? I'm like, yes, but not as a racial colony, not as um, an apartheid state. Israel has to become a state of its, a state of its citizens. It has to denounce apartheid, right. and it's not going to do it um, as a result of an election campaign. It will do it only if they, if we're able to mobilize a movement that is similar to the movement that ended apartheid in South Africa. There would have to be a transnational, mm-hmm. global, grassroots mobilization that will threaten Israel with becoming a pariah state. They're already threatened and they're using everything in their power because their old PR efforts have not succeeded. Well, well, except the most recent efforts, which I say now are the ones that they, they're focusing on, is the conflation of uh, the criticism of Israel to anti-Semitism. Same thing, supporting BDS, then you are labeled as an anti-Semite. So what do you say to those, especially members of the Jewish community who are under attack in this country and in Europe? I mean, we've seen a spike in anti-Semitic attacks, right, with the attacks on synagogues, on people, and so forth. And you, and then you have these forces who are playing this game saying, well, we're seeing anti- an increase in anti-Semitism because of the attacks or the criticism of Israel and, and the support of BDS. How I'm going I'm gonna, to you... use my personal example here because I get, especially because I grew up with stories about the Holocaust. My father was 13 when he witnessed his father's murder in a concentration camp. So I grew up with this personal narrative with my father's trauma, with his limited understanding of never again. Uh, so whenever someone says, likens BDS to um, this uh, anti-Semitic, uh, systematic campaign that was that was a genocide um, platform that was targeting not only Jews, I say, wait a minute, what is what in the call to boycott resembles anti-Semitism? It's a call to solidarity. It's a call to restore human dignity. It's a call to support people who have been at the receiving end of violence. And it's so important for me to point that out, that to point that my involvement in BDS is precisely to honor my grandfather's legacy, mm. to say that mm. the lessons that we need to draw from the Holocaust, from other genocidal campaigns that apply to everyone, and as Jews who have been victimized by this, we have the responsibility, first and foremost, to make sure that we don't continue that cycle. So it's ludicrous. It's only people that are misinformed that would use anti-Semitism uh, against 
those who support BDS. And I also think that we need to call it for what it is. It's an attempt to criminalize, delegitimize, and silence a solidarity movement. You're listening to the voices of uh, Simona Sceroni and uh, Professor Rabab Abdelhadi. Uh, this is Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco 89.5 FM. I want to shift gear here, even though this is related, and we can talk about this topic for two, three hours, because I want to go yeah. to Rabab, because we've been having Rabab here, always giving us an update about her own personal and community struggle at San Francisco State University because she herself herself was a victim of vicious attacks by these voices that we are talking about and then also her own issues with uh, I guess uh, the administration and the lack of support. Where are we, Rabab? What's the latest? Can I just say one thing before? I think that the attempt by the Zionist groups is to actually exceptionalize Israel and yeah. exceptionalize the Jewish experience. And I think that's actually very detrimental and very dangerous when you work for justice. Oh, because absolutely. you cannot talk about justice in one place and not justice in another. You cannot. And one of the things that were really, really important recently was, was the, uh, the, the efforts by different Jewish groups, Jew, Jewish Voice for Peace, International Jewish Anti-Zionist Network, if not now, and many others who came together and protested at ICE centers and yeah. said never again for anyone yes not just never again for jewish people never again for yeah. anyone we will never which ever allow it and this is which is which is the right thing to do yeah. so i think that's in itself kind of the exceptionalization sort of takes us away from it and this is also what is happening with us at san francisco state i just want to point out that we are actually we have three recent attacks that have been going going on at the same time aside from the death threat that we talked about a while ago that still has not been investigated by San Francisco State. We still do not know. They keep saying that they cannot investigate who left the voicemail, uh, Muslims will die on my office number, and the uh, who sent the letter, uh, what is happening. We have like at least 11 lists of things very quickly, and we spoke about them, the students, um, very different student groups, General Union of Palestine students, Muslim Student Association, Muslim Women Student Association, uh, Afghan Student Association, and the Skins Student Council for intertribal nations went and met with the president, the new president of San Francisco State University, President Mahoney. She, uh, she, she, I reached out to her because uh, AMCHA and other Zionist groups have been attacking me and saying that I'm actually sending hateful messages because I post on my Facebook page images of queers against Israeli apartheid protesting. That's, that's yes, thing? yes. They don't say what it is. They don't give you the message itself, but they say it's hateful. And then you can guess. And then people who are lazy don't actually read what the message is about. So they were very bothered by, by uh, my reporting from the queer liberation march on June 30th, uh, 2019, and they said this is a hateful message. They referred to a message that I actually took from the Jews against Zionism, who are students at our campus, got formed when the past president said Zionists are welcome, and it has a young student that says, I'm anti-Zionist, I'm not anti-Semitic, support Palestine, do not ever think of calling me anti-Semitic. And so they think this is hateful. I mean, this is the kind of the stuff, so they are continuing, so this is um, the, the Amcha, and it's uh, Ilk, Zionist Organization of America, Campus Watch, uh, Brandeis Center, all of them, they have a coalition. Now they say they have 80 Jewish groups, which is all derivative of each other. And they're basically uh, saying that I am, I've misused the logo of San Francisco State University, and this is illegal against the state of California. But I don't and understand. What have you misused? Uh, we, we say it's uh, uh, Ahmed on the, on the uh, unofficial uh, Facebook page. It says Ahmed College of Ethnic Studies, San Francisco State University. And they say because Ahmed friends, friends of Ahmed, actually uh, reproduced the, my message. That's actually a hateful message. And that they're going to CSU, Chancellor's Office, and the council and asking for me to be investigated. Now, the response has been from President Wong in the past and from the Chancellor himself in the past, they both condemned me and said that my message is not inclusive. My message is exclusive. And as uh, immediately the same day that this, this happened, this, this denouncement by the President and the Chancellor, I re started receiving more 
death and hate mail and so on. Let me just say something very interesting. So then when, when the new president came in and she sent the message to the California Scholars for Academic Freedom saying that she supports my academic freedom and academic freedom of anybody, even if their message is not inclusive, I wrote her back and I said, I would really like to have a discussion with you because my I believe my position is actually inclusive and for justice. And the people who are attacking are the ones who are exclusive and who are racist and who are doing this and, and including the... the yeah. And we met, I met with her, I made the whole presentation and I said, this is what's going on, I'd like you to think about it. I'm more than happy to provide you. I actually prepared as if I'm preparing for a comprehensive exam, you know. And I went and made the presentation. She's a historian. So this is what's going on. This is the history. Actually attempts to address anti-Semitism where rampant before Zionism came. Zionism is very recent. It's not really a long, and it's actually very exclusive uh, response. It's not really a response to anti-Semitism. Also judging by the way that anti-Semites today are actually collaborating with the white supremacists. Right. And Richard Spencer himself, the, the one who, one, one of the organizers, you know, the right what said. About, what about, uh, he said that I'm a white Pre Zionist. Uh, President Trump, Trump uh, himself, Miller, advised, Miller uh, all of them, uh, uh, the, the Breibart, all yeah, of them. The I mean, Breibart, yeah, all of them, yeah, we yeah, have, we have a huge dossier right. of documentation of that. So we have this attack. We have another attack by Stand With Us, which is another Zionist group that actually went and complained to the Department of Education against you. UCLA because I gave a lecture on Islamophobia where I made connections between white supremacy and Zionism. I mean, the connections are there. I didn't invent them. I just looked for them. I basically drew the connections with each other. They are very upset with that, and they say that I'm, I'm, I'm hateful and anti-Semitic. And the reason they're going to the Department of Education is because the Department of Education, headed by Betty DeVos, who is against any public education whatsoever, who's actually been passing things around against LGBTQI communities, who's been actually passing against everybody, and who is her Man, civil rights man is is uh, none other than Kenneth Marcus, who is the founder of a very uh, right wing uh, is a pro-Israel group called the Brandeis Center. So, and then the third thing is that we are having the whole question from uh, the, uh, um, the the I mentioned the three things, and they are very much connected with what's happening at Duke University, what's happening at University of North Carolina, and so on. There is a, a very long attack that Simona talked about. They, the, the mind is a very dangerous thing. We are teaching, we are educating, we're speaking up, we're producing knowledge, and we're producing knowledge for justice. So it's very troubling. So with the university at San Francisco State, we are hoping that the new president, when the students met with her, they told her about all the stuff that's going on, including we have uh, somebody from SF Hillel, somebody who graduated, who was actually harassing, sits in the cafeteria, takes picture of the young women who are sitting there in gobs and other groups, and it's like, what are you going to do to protect us? So we placed all these questions to the president of the university, saying to her one is that you have a task now that we this there is a this there is a discrimination against arabs muslims and palestinians on one hand and there is also acceptance of the Zionist narrative on the other, and we would like that to change. At the same time, I also have my grievances through my labor right. union, and I also have my lawsuits against the university itself and uh, in state court and in federal court, and, and they're going forward. Okay, and yeah. we're, we're going to have you back. Yes, I will be very happy to do that. Updates yeah. And yeah. Simona, we want to thank you also so much for joining us today. And you have an open invitation to come back, you know, on, uh, on Arab Talk anytime you want. We'd love to have you both together. But individually, that's fine. We've come to another close, though, Jamal. That's this right. is we'll another, another close. close of Arab Talk here on KPOO San Francisco 89.5 FM. Make sure you to go to our website, arabtalkradio.com. You can find and download all of our archived shows there follow us on facebook on twitter and of course support kpoo san francisco 89.5 fm we'll see you next week <laughs>